You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Screenwriters Need to Hear This, our podcast. I'm Michael Jammon. I'm here with Phil Hudson. Welcome back, Phil. Thank you. It's we we have back. a special... It's good to be back. We have a special uh, special episode. Phil has been, you know, he's been doing the co-hosting this for about a year now. And, you know, we've been handling a lot of stuff together. And I guess these are your questions that you've had after a year of doing this. You know, I guess you have your own thoughts about what you, what you want to learn more, even though you're so close to, to me and we're doing it together. I guess you have more questions. So let's dig in. Yeah. Does that sound uh, right, Phil? Yeah, it's pretty close. I, I mean, I, I think it's it's not even pretty close. It's basically what we're doing today. I, this thought came to me because, you know, I'm involved in the podcast. I go through the Q&As with you. I hear all of these questions. I listen to a lot of your live Q&As when you do them on social media. Um, and then I look at where I'm at in my screenwriting world. I've taken your course. I've taken other courses. I've got a bachelor's degree in screenwriting, you know, story development. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really more the nuanced questions that I have about the craft and career and, um, you know, looking at where I'm at now, six years into my Hollywood career, progressing from a PA to an associate producer and, mm -hmm. you know, three seasons on a show, hopefully moving into- Yeah, you've come a long way in, in that time. Yeah. You've come I, a long you know, way. I know it's, it's, uh, it's humbling to look back on it because it doesn't feel like it at the time. A lot of time it doesn't right. feel like- getting that coffee or going on that drive in LA traffic at 5 PM for, because someone forgot to send an email at 12 noon, you know, it's kind of hard to remember that. Um, and even very yeah. helpful as a mentor and a friend to kind of guide me and mm -hmm. be a sounding board and talk me off the ledge when I'm super stressed out about all the craziness happening. Yeah. Uh, but it's been, it's been very helpful to, to have that opinion. And I think there are some of these questions that reflect where I'm at in my career. I think they'll be helpful to a lot of people at all stages. But for right. me, I think that, you know, you say there's no intermediate writing. It's all writing 101. Uh, this might be more career advice, I guess you could say. Career 101. Okay. Sure. sure. So, we'll, you know, we'll dive in and, and you know, just kind of jazz. I'm not a jazz fan, but we'll jazz it a little bit about uh, some of these questions. I'm not looking for anything specific. It's just more your thoughts on these things. Okay. So, you know, as, as we've discussed on the podcast, I'm a big fan of personal development. And, yeah, um, more than anybody I know. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Love it. I love growing and, and developing, and, and books are my number way of doing one way of doing that. Mm -hmm. There's a really powerful book by a guy named Josh Waitzkin uh, called "The Art of Learning," and one of the things he talks about, he was the, you know, did we talk about him on the podcast? Does this? I don't. This I don't the name is it's not familiar. No. So Josh Waitzkin was the premise, the the child behind the the book "Searching for Bobby Fischer," which became a movie. He was a chess yeah. prodigy at like the age of eight, like a international grandmaster by 17 and then he left that and he became a tai chi push hands world champion in his 20s and then he became a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and he wow. uh, coaches hedge fund managers on uh on high level performance uh and wow. he's a he's a foiler you know what foiling is yeah yeah, yeah. like so, fencing uh no so no. This, is, no. this is a little bit different it's like surfing but then there's a, a fin oh. that goes in the water and so you're actually above the water so there's less drag so you're going super hydrofoils right yeah. okay so he's a, he's a professional foiler now too, and he's okay. constantly mastering different things. One of the things he talks about, you know, it starts with fundamentals. You know, he says most people start with openings in chess or in jujitsu or whatever it is you're doing. He likes to start at the end, at the end game and really say, here's where I'm headed. What happens if I get stuck in this position where there's like three pieces on the board? 
And he talks about you have to learn the fundamentals. And then after you've done it enough times, you get enough volume of repetition in, you get to a point where you start looking at the making what he calls making small circles, big circles, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you examine one position in chess or Brazilian jiu-jitsu enough, and then you can find a thousand ways out of that where someone might only have one. And, and in this, in the world of screenwriting, I think about, okay, here's story structure. Here are the three elements of story. Those are kind of the fundamental things you have to know to be able to write a script. But then mm-hmm. there's improving dialogue, improving jokes, all of those things. I'm just wondering from your perspective, where are places people can look for those circles? Like, you know, I said a couple of them, you know, act breaks, you know, making those pop, jokes, whatever. Um, just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. What are those circles where we can spend more time and really develop or where have you spent time? Oh, um, you know, sometimes you'll think of a, sometimes we'll, my partner and I were writing, you know, we'll think of what's a bad story. How can, what's, what's mm. a good version of a bad story? Uh, or you'll see, you'll watch other shows and you'll, you'll see, okay, how are they doing this? And what don't I like about it? How could I, how could I do this? We do this all the time. We'll watch a movie, um, or a show and, and we'll talk about what we don't like about it and how we would have done it differently. It's just a thought experiment. Now, we won't spend too much, too long on it. And it's not because we're trying to bag on it. We're just trying to think, okay, there must be another way around this, you know? Uh, it's very easy. I think it's very easy for new writers to think, well, my first idea is that that's the one I'll go with. Mm-hmm. And that's so not often not the case. Um, usually before you start writing, you'll explore a number of different areas and uh, go down and then, and then come back to the one. Even if it's the, the first one is the great one, You'll still explore other areas first, just to make sure that you feel you're on good footing, that you haven't gone, that you're not just doing the first thing that came to your head. So that I think that's one way to open your mind a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah, and you can watch bad shows too and learn a lot from bad shows. Got it. Do you have any specific writing exercises you've done over the year to improve specific aspects of your writing, like again, joke joke telling or things like that? Well, that I talk. I've talked about this a little bit. Where when I was on King of the Hill, we just got there. And um, I was in the joke room that day. So it's like five, five of us. And we were assigned to punch up like a, a scene. And <clears throat> I was eager to impress everybody. So I start, I pitched this joke and got a big laugh in the room. And then, and so I was like, oh, that's the winner, right? So they sent me off to the showrunners who were in a different room. And I pitched in this joke and they go, oh, everyone's laughing. They're all, they loved it. And they go, great, come back with five more. And I was like, I don't understand. I just, I just, pitched it in a room, got a big laugh. I pitched it to you. You guys loved it. You left. Why, why am I doing five more? I felt like busy work. Now I was getting paid a lot. So I was like, I didn't say anything. I was like, okay, I'll go back and do five more. But I was a little resentful of it. And um, I went back and I came up with 10 more. And of those 10, a couple of them were just as good. You know, they were just as good. I think, I, I don't know, remember you, I don't even remember which one we wound up using. That's how unimportant it is to be attached to one joke. It was, it really opened my mind to explore the fact that there's no one right way and you can always do better and you can always top it and all these jokes are disposable. And and then I became really good at it. I really became good at joke writing when I was like, when I was less attached to any one of them. And then you really, and it was almost like, you know, showing off. You're like, okay, I could do this again. I could do more. No problem. Not a problem. Mm. I could do more. Mm. Is that something that you drilled ever? Or I mean, like, that sounds like a drill almost, but is that something you ever sat at home and just practiced? Not when I didn't do a practice, but I remember being in rooms with some of the staff writers and we were in the joke room. This is at King of the Hill. And, um, and they were on, so we're pitching on a joke 
And then some of them, they're new. So they were pitching lines that weren't good yet. And I took it as a challenge. How can I make the line that they said? How can I make that funny and then use it and then give them credit? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It was more, It was like, a, it really was just a test for me. Like they'd pitch it and I go, nah, that's not good. But what about this? And I t- twist their words around and add it on a little bit. And then I get a laugh and I go, good for you. So you did it. You know, and I give them credit for it. But that was part of me just, um, I was really doing it for myself. How can I, you know, it was more of a challenge. Got it. it. It seems to me from my conversations with you and the conversations on the podcast that the real, and again, this is just speculation. It seems like the real place where you're getting in these repetitions and practicing this stuff is just sitting down with Siebert, your writing partner, and just writing and writing and writing and writing. Would you say that's mm-hmm. accurate? Yeah. Is that is that the Yeah, I mean, we write so much. I don't even remember what we've written. Sometimes we'll revisit an idea from years ago, and I forgot all about it. Or sometimes we're writing so much, I forget the names of the characters of a you know a pilot we're writing. Or you know, because we do we do a lot of it. You know, we're constantly working, and so uh, yeah, you know. There's, there's always work to be done. There's always new stuff to come up with. I had that conversation with Steve Lemmy. I was over at his house um, helping him with his internet and getting his stuff set up for post for Tacoma FD. And I saw mm-hmm. the stack of scripts just on his bookshelf. I said, yeah. oh, are those your scripts? He says, yeah, that's that's a bunch of them I've written. I was like, oh, that's fascinating. We started talking about where I'm at in my career and some of the other opportunities I've been offered to go down the producing route versus the writing mm-hmm. route and, and trying to get his feedback. And he said, you know, I'm going to call BS on anybody who says that they took a producing job and then that stopped them from being a writer. Because if you want to be a writer, you can write and you can just write and you can just find time to write because that's what you have to do. Mm. He said, you know, I used to work when I was waiting table, I'd work two doubles so that I had five days of just writing time. And that's what I would do. Oh, wow. And he said, I wrote oh, 20 scripts. I've taken 10 out. Four of them have been made. So you just got to keep writing and writing and writing. And if you want to be a writer, you can make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, he's successful. So there you go. If you had to ballpark how many scripts you've made, how many do you think you've done? How many we've written? Yeah. You and Seabrook. Just ballpark. Uh, well, are you talking about ones that have been produced or like ones that haven't sold? It's just specs. Just specs you've written. Specs? Jeez. Uh, you know, do- dozens. Easy. I mean, I mean, more than dozens. Uh, specs that we've, I mean, yeah, so I'm not necessarily talking about like you're on staff and you get a script, but I'm talking more like you and Siebert sit down and you come up with an idea, you're not on a show and you're just writing right. and you're writing, you take it out, you pitch it, doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Maybe it goes somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably less than 50, but uh, a That's lot. And plenty. Yeah. And, and some of them we've sold and some of them haven't. Most of them, well, most of them haven't, you know. Yeah. 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 So just, uh, I think that kind of puts into perspective the amount of work you have to put out there to yeah. make it. Yeah, 50 may be a little high, but you know, it's a lot. Yeah, you know. there you go. All right, so having known you and your wife for many years at this point, I think one of the things that I appreciate about you is that you really seem to have a really strong work-life balance, right? You talk oh. about how you go on walks <laughs> with your wife, you know, yeah. you, you you prioritize that alone time with with her. You uh, mm-hmm. raised two daughters, you know, you've, you've got, but again, what I would say is pretty strong or significant work-life balance. I'm just wondering how you prioritize things in your life. Well, I actually, I was thinking about this the other day myself, and I probably would have been a more successful writer had I worked the game, had I networked more, had I gone to more functions and so, been more social, for sure. 
but it was just never my priority. I always want, I, I like being at home. I like being with my family. I think I'm extremely lucky that when my children were, were little, those, those years are, you know, the, they go, they fly by those little years. And I was always home. Um, that I worked, it was just, I was just luck that I was always home every night to give them a bath and read them a story mm. because on most sitcoms at the time, maybe it's different now, but you know, you could work easily till 10 or midnight every single night. And I got lucky that I wasn't, I was on King of the Hill at the time and the hours were pretty good on King of the Hill. And so it just so happened that the hours that I needed to be home for my children were the were the ones, it coincided with my career, but I always put my family above my career. And the only time if there was any instance, it was only because I needed to do my career so that I could pay the bills so that I could, you know, but it was never the career. I just don't understand that. Like, you know, like Tom Brady's, I guess he's getting, probably getting a divorce. Yeah, I saw that today. And, so, and it's because he loves football. He doesn't need the money. He loves football more than anything else. And like, no, that's not, that wouldn't have been the case with me. My yeah. family comes first. So, I, you know. It's so it's shocking to me, but that's how much he loves football. But there are other writers as well. I know that feel the same way. You know, they their career is more important to them than anything else. Like, all right, and that's yeah. why I don't even put any stock in, uh, you know, uh, awards or Emmys or whatever. I'm like, an Emmy would be nice, and so far it would help you get more work and probably raise your quote. But the actual thing on my shelf holds absolutely no appeal to me. It doesn't do anything for me. That's fascinating because I think a lot of people, myself included, we. Um, we seek those types of things. We seek acknowledgement and, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard other writers refer to it as the, the good boy syndrome. Like you just want to be the teacher's pet. You want to prove that you're, you're capable of doing things. Um, mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people who are pursuing those things and they're pursuing clout and fame. Um, but that's something I do appreciate and respect about you. And it's things people don't know about you. I mean, you've taken time during your career to become fluent in Italian. I mean, I've, yeah. I've watched you have full blown conversations with Italians and it's, I get it because I'm fluent in Spanish. You speak Spanish right. as well, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just love that. I love languages. Yeah, you've got mm -hmm. a beautiful, you've got a background in marketing. You're, you're probably just as competent as a marketer as I am, if not more so. Uh, you helped your wife with her business. Um, you know, you're a, a businessman. And, and I think that's a, a fascinating trait because I, I wondered this because I wondered, it, it almost seems like you have to be deeply obsessed with something in order to become extremely proficient, proficient at that thing in a way that we might consider the top 1% of the top 1%, the Tarantinos, the Favreaux, the Rodriguez's that, you know, and those people, they just, they know every film, they know how yeah. cameras work. They know how lighting, lighting works there. You know, Favreaux's developed this new format for filmmaking with the void, right? He's, um, he, he's taken gaming engines and used them to produce real to life lighting systems inside a contained environment. You don't have to be outside for Like it's, it's wild. Yeah. I wonder I mean, how you balance that in a family. I really do. And that's the thing I, I, I wouldn't like, I'm not that driven. I'm just not. Uh, and in, in terms of the stuff that I like learning, I, I enjoy learning. I've always, that's, I was a nerd in high school. So all that stuff is like, Oh, I can learn a language. That sounds fun. Um, I can learn this little skill set. That's I like learning, but I don't. Um, it's not the uh, that the process of learning is more interesting to me than actually, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm just not driven. I'm not. I'm not as driven as I maybe I thought I would be. I, uh, I don't need to have, um, you know. I don't need to be king of Hollywood. It just doesn't. As long as I'm doing my, I mean, I, I, honestly, as long as I'm doing what I want to do, spending the day doing what I want to do, 
and I don't need to make a ton of money. I, that's not, it's not the money that's driving me. It's the fact that I get to spend my days doing what I want to do. Yeah. Quality of life. And I think yeah. that's where I'm at right now. And, and we've had these conversations because I'm behind on many of the deadlines for the stuff that I want to do for your website and the things that mm-hmm. we've committed to doing for the members of your course. And, you know, I had to take a step back for three weeks to have other guests. I would have loved to have been on phone call on these conversations yeah. with these guests that you had, but it just was a priority for me to step aside and just focus on other things because I'm so overcommitted in so many aspects of my life. I'm literally not doing the things I enjoy. Like I enjoy doing this, and I told you this, I enjoy doing this podcast more than most things I do in my life. And I really? had to take time away from that to but get caught up thing. so that I could focus on those things. But you're also a pleaser. You enjoy helping people. That's your thing. Yeah. And sometimes you bite off more than you chew and you can chew because you want to, you like, that's part of your, you get joy in helping people. Sure, you know? I do. And it, but it's this balance aspect of, you know, if it's being detrimental to my time to write and I'm not writing, then yeah, what am I doing that. this for, right? Why do I live in right. LA if I'm not writing? Why am I right. working as a, in post-production on a TV show if I'm not writing? And then right. it's that balance. And then at the same time, I've got a daughter that I just love to death. And I've got another a and, son on the way and another. very shortly, yep. you know, six yep. weeks out from this point. So, wow. Yeah, it's, a, it's it's fascinating. And it's something that I just really appreciate about you is it seems like you have this work-life balance. And it's, it's I would say that despite the fact that you're not, you're saying you're not driven. I mean, again, you're I'm not, always writing, always yeah. writing. Right, but I'm not doing the things and I have no problem with that. I don't have any regrets, but I'm not, I'm not uh, schmoozing. I'm not making the circuit. I'm not, uh, I'm definitely not. Like there are, and I know there are writers who do that, who are always looking, oh, how can that person help me? How can I spend time in their, in their, being their grace to advance my career? I see it and it, it doesn't appeal to me. So, yeah, really fascinating. So it kind of brings up the, the next question I had here, which is about relationships. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you've got, beautiful relationships from a career. That's why a lot of these people have offered to be on the podcast with you and you yeah. ask them and it's not for personal gain. I mean, uh, just listening to the introduction to Rob Cohen on the podcast where you describe him as a friend, it's like, it was a beautiful yeah. thing. And it, it makes me emotional thinking about that deep level relationship with someone you've worked with. Um, yeah. And I'm just wondering like, what do you do to cultivate and maintain those great relationships with these people? And that's another hard thing. Like uh, other people would probably do more uh, I, I know other people would do more. So I've worked with writers and I've been friends with them. And then when you leave, the show gets canceled, you go on a different show, and then you kind of, you kind of go your ways. And it would have been smarter of me to c- continue cultivating many of those relationships. But, you know, life gets in the way. My family gets in the way. I'd rather be with my family. And so it would have helped me more had, had I done that. But this is what I was willing to do. Uh, and so, but there are a handful, of course, that I still tain, you know, maintain, uh, you know, a, a connection with, you know, your, your closest ones. So those are the ones that, you know, I hang on to. All right. So this is something that I think about a lot too. And I think one thing that I'm really good at is I'm really good at learning things. I'm really good at understanding things and conceptualizing them and reducing mm-hmm. them down to a very simple to understand palatable process. I remember the first time I met you in person, I, I came out to a uh, twirly girl, your wife's company in, in downtown LA. And, um, we were just kind of talking when I got there because I was helping you guys with something. And you were like, so do you have like a degree in computer science or something? I was like, no, I'm a college dropout at the time. I wasn't even in film school at the time. Yeah, you knew a lot about a lot of different things for websites. I mean, like you knew a lot, you know. And, it, and it's just because that's just a gift that I think I have is I can 
take these things and I understand how to think about them and ask the right questions to the right people. And then I'll put in mm-hmm. the time and I'll, I'll beat my head against the rock to figure out how to do it um, yeah. to the point where I can kind of guess almost like a principle of like how things are going to work. But knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And right. I think about how much time I spent learning the craft of screenwriting and learning how to do this stuff and so little time doing the craft of screenwriting during that time. Yeah, you got to continue. Yeah. I was wondering if you had a ballpark ratio of how much time someone should spend learning versus doing. Because just doing doesn't mean you're going to be successful and you can continue to spend your time. But as we talked about on a recent podcast episode, just because you did, you've done it doesn't mean it's good. And you might need a pro to teach you how to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in the beginning, I, I would try, probably say half and half. You'd probably have to study and then and then continue to write. Uh, and and but writing is that's how you that's how you get better as well. I mean, even when I was putting together my book, um, I look at some of the early stories and I compare it to the ones towards the end of the book, and I'm like, oh, I got to go back and rewrite the beginning ones because even while I was writing the book. I, I grew as a writer and I got better and I can see it. I can I can see it. and that's only because I continued working. You know, writing. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not gonna spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to Michaeljammin.com slash watchlist. It almost feels to me, and if I could go back to 2008 when I started this, um, Mm -hmm. I was writing because I didn't have the fear of what I didn't know. And then I quickly learned I knew so little that it put a lot of fear of failure into me and it held me back. And I felt like I needed to chase more knowledge and understanding so that I could do something good the first at bat. And that's something you always said was writing is rewriting and and what you're for the first draft, right? It's the... You know, pardon the language, it's the shit draft or the crappy draft or the vomit draft, as I've heard it called. And that's exactly what I just saw in this interview that Aaron Sorkin gave. And I was like, yeah, he, he said the same thing. It's always about the second draft. It's like, yeah, it's, but that's not like, it's not, it's not it's not me and Aaron Sorkin believe this. It's me, Aaron Sorkin, and every other working writer believe this. So it's yeah. all the same. Yeah, but, but to, to that point, it's you have to get it out and you have to practice it. So if I could go back, Rather than obsessing about knowing everything, I think I would start and I would learn something and then I would practice that thing. And I would practice that thing five, 10, 12, 100 times. And then I move to the next thing and I practice that thing over and over and over again. And I think what's beautiful about what you've done, and again, for anyone who wants to know why you have a screenwriting course, um, I pushed you to because I wanted that information out of your brain. And I think what's so beautiful about it is you've conceptualized from start to finish, here's what you need to know and understand to be a professional writer. You need to understand these three story points. They have to be, these elements have to exist in your story. And most of the time we have problems because you're forgetting one of these things or they're not plus, they're not great. You know, they're just okay. Um, yeah. And you have your story structure. You have all those beautiful things in there that you can go in and just learn something and practice, 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 then move to the next thing and practice, practice, practice. And I just had a conversation with another uh, another student in your course, Kevin, who uh, I consider to be a peer at this point. You know, he's a script coordinator on another show, and he's we've been holding each other accountable in our writing to get better all year. Um, and it's been really, really powerful in having that working relationship with someone. Yeah, but th- but that's the conversation. Is like, I almost feel like I want to 
come up with 12 to 100 different story ideas that could be plot, you know, stories. And then I want to move to breaking stories. And I just want to break 100 stories and then move to the next step and then move to the next step right. just so I can hone that skill to get it to some muscle memory there. 100 would be a lot to break. But, uh, yeah, I know. I know that's an exaggerated number, but that's my ridiculous brain. But right. even 12, right? Do 12 of those, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, for sure. anyway, I think, uh, I think that's the advice I would give people who are wondering what they could do to be more successful faster is just learn the fundamentals and practice the fundamentals and drill, drill, drill as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, know, you, yeah. you talk about the, the power of being a professional, which is you just show up and you write, even if you don't feel like it. And I'm fortunate enough to have clients who are um, Navy SEALs who wrote a bunch of New York Times bestselling books. And one of those guys, Jocko Willink, he, he has this saying, discipline equals freedom. And he's like, you think discipline will hold you back, but dis- discipline will actually set you free because you're not mired in emotion and you're not dependent on motivation. It's just, this is right. a discipline and I do it no matter what, because I am the master of my body or I'm the master of, of my my not inhibitions, but your desires. And so you just, you do it. Do you seem to me to be very much that type of person? You do it because it's a discipline. Do you yeah. ever look at rewards as a reason to do something? Like you have any you know, rewards I, you provide to yourself? Just when you said the other, just when you said this, I was like, oh yeah, I went, I went for run. I, I run three days a week. I used to do more, but three days, you know, like now I do other stuff. And then I run past the same guy, uh, Henry, who lives in my neighborhood. And uh, I see him almost always, almost because he's outside his house, almost at the same time. We always talk for a little bit. And he's like, boy, you really, you it's like clockwork. You're always running. And I was like, I guess so. I don't even think about it. I just, every other day, I just go running. It's like, I don't even, you know, yeah, it's just the discipline. They just do it. I don't, there's no mm-hmm. excuses. Just do it. Um, but in terms of the reward, you know, I am obviously, I'm. Uh, you know, you build you'll never get to the reward. Like I heard Stallone say, he said like, this is what life is. You build a, you build a mountain, you climb to the top and then you build another mountain to climb. So is there ever, do you ever get there? No, you'll never get there. You know, that's, mm-hmm. a, but the, the journey is what's the, that's what it all is. It's just, that's all part of it. And even now I have things that I I'm chasing, you know, putting on my, my one man show and making that bigger and, and taking on the road. Uh, I, but I see other people who are doing it more successfully than I am for sure. And I'm, that's, that's my hill I'm building. So. Yeah. Got it. So for you, it's almost the, you know, the cliche, I would call it a cliche saying of the joy is in the journey. Do you actually find that joy in the journey or do you have, you know, you know there's a guy who was, He's, uh, he talks about this. Um, he's a doctor. I think it's Shrikumar Raul, or I think it's his name is. And he talks about when people climb Mount Everest, it takes them months and months and months of, to training and, and acclimation. And then they get to the base camp and they climb Everest and it takes more and more time. And then when they get to the top of Everest, what do they do? They take a selfie. They're there for about five minutes and they head back down. So the reward is not top of Mount Everest. If it was, they would spend their life there. The reward is the journey is the doing of it. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, um, that's pretty much it. You, if you're not enjoying the, if listen, if you're not enjoying the journey, you're not going to enjoy the destination. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're not. So you have to enjoy if you, you know, do something else. If you, if you feel like it's really hard and, and you don't, you're not getting enough out of it. How do you reconcile that with something I've heard you say before, which is 
writing is not necessarily fun. And if you're having fun, you might not be actually writing. It's because that's easy because all writers and very few working writers that I know enjoy writing. We enjoy having written. So it's like, oh, I just finished the script. That felt good because it was so hard. Uh, So now I I guess you're saying, well, is that the the destination? Uh, Having finished the script? Uh, I, I mean, I, I guess that's to me. That's part of the process, as opposed to sure. the deal or the the show you've sure. You know, it, it's it's the high the runner's high, right? It's you. It's a benefit that you get from doing it. It's not the thing you chase, right? Yeah, you don't run right. to get a runner's high. It's just a benefit. And I think when I was asking about rewards, I think what I was really asking is like, do you ever set a milestone and say, when I do this, I will reward myself with that? Because and, and let me preface this by saying, I feel like I might be too smart for that system. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, weight loss. Like, oh, if you hit this bench start, you can go get a pizza. It's like, but I could just go get a pizza. I could go do that right now. And and so that system's never worked for me. And so it, what works for me more is not focusing on what I necessarily want to get out of it. It's what I don't want or don't want to continue to endure, if that makes sense. Yeah. That causes a lot of change for me. I sh- I'm supposed to, I know what you're saying. I'm, I'm supposed to celebrate more. And I know Cynthia's always, my wife's always saying like, um, no, we're celebrating now because you just did something great. And I'm like, yeah. but I haven't, I'm not, I'm not there where I want to be yet. You know, she goes, yeah, but it doesn't matter. We, you still did this. What you did was pretty great. So I, she helped me <laughs> celebrate those little things. Your, your wife is awesome. Like that woman is yeah. insane. She's such a wonderful person. Like we need yeah, more Cynthia's in the world. And, and I love that yeah. so much. Like she makes yeah. you appreciate your time. My wife does the same thing. She's just like, right. you should go get a new car. I was like, why? So like, you deserve it. I was like, I don't deserve uh, it. Great. <laughs> like, my car works just did fine. you get it she, did you get a new car we just bought a new car last night for her um for her well what did yeah. what did you get we got a vw atlas uh we found a 2019 wait is it the is that it's like an those, suv the, it's, it's like a okay, three-row suv yeah. um it's like the You're base it's that. a yeah it's based off of the the uh audi qr8 or whatever like that model right. which i guess is based off of some lamborghini that's what the salesman was telling us uh, my wife was all in all right and you know fortunately i could provide that opportunity to her but i was uh right. i was in san jose over the weekend and i was driving my mother-in-law's car and the engine blew while i was driving like smoke and everything so right. it, we, we have an opportunity to to do something nice for my mother-in-law and provide a better experience for my wife so that's why we did it right i right. am i don't reward myself so much that I'm still driving my 2011 Kia Sportage with 238,000 miles on it. 2011. Interesting. You know, my Jeep is 2005, 2005 film. You you love that thing though. You love your Jeep. I do. Michael, I rode in that Jeep once. Michael took me, like he was in LA and he took me to go get uh, noodles. We got got pho or something. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I spilled all over my shirt. That's what you want when you meet uh, someone you consider a mentor is just spilling noodles all over your shirt. I remember that, right? Yeah. He remembers the noodles being on my shirt. No, I don't remember that, but I remember going getting (laughs) far or whatever. Yeah. Well, I got a couple of, a couple other follow-up questions here because I know we're getting a little long winded, but uh, you know, I appreciate this conversation because I think it's really helping me shape my, my mind around where I'm at at this stage in my, my life and my career. Um, I'm wondering what you do in terms of outside influences. And to preface this again, uh, I spent a lot of time, breaking myself away from news and, and information that's mostly negative. Um, I deleted social media my, for my phone for a long time. 
uh, stop mm-hmm. looking at the news altogether. And I had a teacher in film school who got pretty angry with me. It was like, how can you be a good citizen of the world if you don't understand what's happening in the world? I was like, well, I have Twitter on my phone. It's one of the few things I kept. And it keeps me up to date real time with what's happening in the world from, you know, sources that I trust. Uh, but I'm just wondering what you do. do you, I mean, do you spend time looking and thinking about these things? And if so, how does that influence your writing? I, I do. I read a lot. I've read a lot of David Sedaris and uh, he just had a new book come on. I obviously devoured that the second I got it. Uh, I'm reading another writer, uh, a book by a guy named Ocean Vuong. And his. I love that his title of his book, it's uh, Unearthed, We're Briefly Gorgeous. And I'm like, that's that's perfect. Like that title, Unearthed, We're Briefly Gorgeous. Think about that. That, 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 that. The rhythm is perfect. Unearthed, We're Briefly Gorgeous. And what does it say? It says, it, it says, but that's, but maybe we're gorgeous somewhere else, but on here, we all have a moment to shine. We all have one, but it's brief and it's fleeting. I just love, like, man, that guy, and just listening, I've heard him on a couple, not a podcast, but a radio interview. And I'm like, and he, you know, he's young. And I'm like, man, this guy's a freaking poet. He is a poet. And so I'm reading him and I'm really appreciating the way he writes. It's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use any of it. I'm not going to use, it's not going to influence my writing at all. I just appreciate, uh, there's no place for it in what I do, but I really have a strong appreciation for what he does. And so finding, uh, just looking for other, ma- you know, not other, but looking for masters and just seeing how they do it. Like David Sedaris is a master at what he does. Uh, I just really, I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing other people performing, working at their best putting their best out there like man because there are people doing amazing stuff yeah that's awesome um similar to this you know if if that stuff's not affecting you do you feel that it inspires you to do better like does it push you to to reach for that next ledge the next climb to that next limb yeah i mean i like like i would just it's so hard but i i would love like i would love that i would love for people to look at my work particularly the, my collection that i'm putting i love for people to say man that was really great uh and I, I, that's for someone else to decide whether it is or it isn't but that when i'm doing these shows i'm like i i want someone to leave uh each show like the goal for me in good writing is not whether you're enjoying it at the moment but how do you feel when it's over how long does it stick with you and if I can make someone get in their car after the, each show, that's what I'm. That's what I'm going for. I don't know. If, I don't know if anyone's had this breakdown or not, but uh, just hesitate for a moment before putting the key in the ignition and just kind of just sit there, almost like, <laughs> like if they just need a moment alone just before they get in the car, before they start the car. That's what I. That's what I'm always trying to do. Um, and I always I even think about that growing up. I used to go with my dad into the city, like, you know, he had an office job and sometimes I'd put on my little clip on time and go sit in his office for, you know, it was horribly boring, but that's what I would do. And during those train rides, my dad, he always had his head in a freaking book. And that's how, that's what it was. Everyone in that commuter train from, from where we lived to the city, everyone, this is before phones. And so everyone had a book and I, and to me, when I'm writing, I'm thinking, can I get that person who's reading the book? Can I get them to laugh out loud? Because that seems to be a high a high bar. Because they're in their own world. Can I get them to laugh out loud? And those are the people I'm thinking about when I'm writing. Mm, that's beautiful, man. I think it uh, again, you know, as you said earlier, you're not you're not motivated by golden statues. You're not 
no, the about they couldn't care. recognition. It's <laughs> it's about the personal touch, right? It's about how can you influence yeah. one person in a way that that impacts them to stop and think and separate and contemplate the things that you're putting out there. Which yeah, I think yeah. it's an admirable pursuit. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, tying this back to what you discussed earlier about your runs, I actually have this written here. Um, there's a great book that you probably haven't read called The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. No. You should check it out. It's basically, um, he's a professor at uh, UNLV, I believe, uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And yeah. he basically talks about why challenging ourselves and pushing ourselves to our limits for no other reason than just pushing ourselves to our limits is a well is a, an endeavor well worth pursuing. And culturally, mm-hmm. it's been done for millennia. But it's something that we no longer do, at least in American society. It's not really something that we push ourselves to do. But I definitely thought of you because I remember you telling the story about there's a hill by your house that you run almost every day. And I believe yeah. there was one time where you, uh, I think you tripped and fell and there was like a snake right in front of you. So uh, yeah, it was a rattlesnake. No, I didn't trip. I was climbing up this hill I, I, on all fours. There you go. Because <laughs> it's really steep. Ground. Yeah. Yeah. It was a rattlesnake. I said, I'm taking the day off. <laughs> I went backwards. <laughs> enough for you. But but what yeah. pu- what pushes you to climb that hill? Like and and you know, and maybe we already answered this, but I think it's something that's fascinating because it's something I'm considering. Because there's a Japanese term for this he talks about in the book, and I apologize to everyone, I don't have it. Uh, you can you can look up Michael Easter and I'm sure he talks about it. But it's it's a ritual, a rite of passage that you do, and you don't talk about it. It's not something you put on social media, it's not something you talk about to your friends, and like except for the people who are doing that with you. It's uh-huh. not about cloud or virtue signaling or you know showboating. Oh, it's yeah. something you do in the privacy of your own home or to, by yourself, just for you. It to me, yeah. You know, I know about this because you published the fact that you on social media that you fell in front or you, were, you had a rattlesnake right in front of you, which is something you <laughs> yeah. publish, obviously. Um, <laughs> but why do you why do you run the hill? What what makes you run up the hill? Oh, you know, that's just my exercise. But so there's a number of there's a number of trails that I have, and that's one of them. Uh, in my neighborhood. Uh, and yeah, that's just one of the trails I do. And it's, um, it's a, it's a fun one, but it gets so steep in that one section that you can't run it. You have to crawl, <laughs> you yeah. have to crawl up for a couple of, you know, a couple of yards. Right. But that, uh, you say that's that, your exercise, but other yeah. people are not running up a hill to the point where they have to crawl through the dirt. Right. So, yeah, so, I, I so what I'm asking you is like, why do you, for your exercise, Instead of getting on a treadmill and running an air an air conditioned oh. gym, why do you, you find value in running crawling up a hill? Uh, I don't. As Michael Jam, not not generally, just you as a person. Because again, I thought of you when I read this book, and he's talking about like hunting caribou in the Alaskan tundra for forty days, the point where he mm-hmm. loses fifteen pounds of body fat because he's starving. Wow. Right. When I at this one hill, when you get to the top, it is like you're done. <laughs> I mean, that's a hard run. It's a hard climb. And then I have to continue. I still have to run a couple more miles just to get back to where I started. But why do I do that hill? I don't, it's a really, it's a very, it's really challenging. And, um, but you know, if the, the thing is, I don't quit. I just, if it's too hard, I'll just go a little slower, but I never quit, you know, except for the day when I saw that rattlesnake, <laughs> the only time I ever quit. So I just go slower. I, but I feel like as, as long as I'm doing it, you just can't quit. I think that's like the, the secret is life. Just don't, as long as you don't quit, you are not a failure. You haven't failed. You just mm-hmm. haven't accomplished it yet. The minute mm-hmm. you quit, you're a failure. You mm-hmm. know? I think that's kind of to summarize 
the the point here for me is um, so many of us are worried about failing. So many of us are worried about giving oh. up or, or being disappointing our parents or looking like um, we couldn't do it or, you know, settling for less. You know I did a post just a couple of days ago and a friend of mine, I, I basically said uh, it was about artists and, oh, yeah, but art, you know, you have to post about someone being accusing someone of being a failed artist, a failed actor. And my yeah. post said, there's no such thing as a failed artist. There, there isn't. Unless you quit, then you're a failed artist. But, you know, if, as long as you're trying and doing it, uh, and then and maybe you change your mind. You say, you know what? I uh, Because the art, I mean, I didn't want to take that back. You're not even a failed artist because you may decide I have other priorities. I want to buy a house. I want to make more money. And those, your priorities have changed. But that whole time that you were making art, you're not a failed artist. That's like saying... Van Gogh is a failed artist because he didn't make his, he didn't be, become renowned you know he didn't achieve any success or fame he you know he died before all that happened and he's arguably the greatest you know painter of all time so was he a failed artist just because he didn't make the, you know recognition or fame while he was alive of course not and so when I posted about this to me it's obvious like to me it's simply obvious no one's a failed artist you, you know. The process of doing the art is the joy. That's what you. That's what you're getting out of it. Whether you get fame or success is a whole different story. But sometimes the two are not related. But you're still an artist. You are still an artist as long as you say you are an artist. And then, and I posted this, and a friend, uh, who is, I would you could say he's a struggling writer. He's not a writer yet. I know he's a talented writer, but he hasn't broken through. But I've, I've, I'm familiar with his work, and he's talented, and. He was like, he, he texted me. He's like, man, thank you. I needed to hear this today. And I was like, you did? Like, I, I kind of thought this is all obvious. You know, I, I was surprised that he needed to hear it. I was like, dude, you just haven't, you know, you haven't reached your goal yet, but you're certainly not a failure. You know? Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to end, Michael. I think it kind of highlights what, in essence, I get from Michael Jammin, right? Uh, from everything you put out, all the content, um, who you've been before you started doing the podcast, all the reasons I pushed mm-hmm. you to do a lot of this stuff. It's, um, it'll, I think you provide a lot of stoic insight, I guess you'd say, to the screenwriting I don't even, I don't even know about stoicism, but okay, maybe we should look into it. It's, it's beautiful stuff. I mean, you talk about um, not running away from the problem earlier. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it reminds me of Ryan Holiday's book, uh, you know, The Obstacle is the Way. He tells a story mm-hmm. about the king who put a boulder in the middle of the road just to see who would move it along. And people would show up and they'd complain and they'd walk away. And some people would walk around. And then one day a boy showed up and he's just like, man, like, what is this thing doing here? And he went and got a stick and he used it as a lever and he popped the, the boulder out of the way. And there's a small fortune underneath it. And the king just watched oh. because, you know, it, it talks, it's a fable that oftentimes the thing we're looking for is right underneath the problem in front of us. For mm-hmm. whoever's listening to this, that's your hill. That's the hill to climb. And maybe you can't sprint yeah. up the hill right now. Maybe you are crawling up the hill. Maybe you need to slow down. Right? Maybe you need to yeah. retreat for the day because there's a rattlesnake there that's going to get you <laughs> if you don't. But but it's it's worth continuing. It's worth pursuing. And um, it, it doesn't have to be about the fame and the fortune and the success. It's about the joy of yeah. the process and the achievement and making that new mountain like uh, Sylvester Stallone said. So, yeah, Michael, yeah. thank you very much for being that uh, that inspiration for me and the example that I think so many of us are looking for, even though you don't want to be that. I think it speaks <laughs> to who you are. I'm glad. I'm glad I can be help some of help, help and uh, some service in some way. But thank you, Phil. Thank yeah. you. A couple nice things.
you have uh, Paper Orchestra coming to Boston. Yep, coming to Boston, and we're doing another show in LA. So Boston, November 12th and 13th, and LA uh, will be the month in December afterwards. So for tickets, go to michaeljammon.com slash live. And uh, it's a stage reading of my forthcoming collection of Paper Orchestra. It's about an hour, and we have a Q&A at the end. And, uh, and people really liked it last time, so I'm doing it again. You, you said you don't know if anyone stopped and thought in their car to think about what you said, but after your last performance, we received plenty of emails from people raving about yeah. how it made them. It was thought-provoking. It did exactly what you're hoping to do. Yeah, so, it did for a couple, at least a couple, so I'm happy about that. I know people, yeah, they told me afterwards that they it changed them a little bit, so I was like, that's yeah. sweet. You know? So if you were looking to be changed, go to that. Go to Paper yeah. Orchestra. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. Outside of that, the usual stuff, you got the free lesson at michaeljammon.com slash free. You've got the watch list, michaeljammon.com slash watch list. Your course, yeah. michaeljammon.com slash course. And a treasure trove of beautiful information and social media at Writer, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. You're kind of everywhere. And uh, Go get it, everyone. Lots more beautiful stuff coming out. All right, everyone. Thank you. Until next week, uh, next week for our next podcast. Thank you so much. Okay. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin and Phil Hudson. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear today's subject. For free daily screenwriting tips, follow Michael on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Michael Jamin Writer. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Phil A. Hudson. This episode was produced by Phil Hudson and edited by Dallas Crane. Until next time, keep writing.